everyone. My name is Jordi Mueller, and welcome to the Empower Women series of the month of April. And for this month, we actually have a topic that would be it has been coming up often, especially in the last, I would say, year and a half. Uh, as we go through COVID and the pandemic and how it has affected people not being close to each other, it has triggered some planning, I would say, within families, uh, especially when it comes to not just retirement, but elder care. And as we were planning this event today, uh, which we call the affordability of elder care, we thought there could not be someone better to have host the event than uh, Quintara. Quint- Quintara Costa, how are you doing? Good. How are you? This is great to be on. Quintara um, works uh, directly with the people in what, what I would consider the most need sometimes of planning, that they are not quite there when it comes to um, amassing the assets for retirement and elder care needed, but they definitely need to start planning. And she's that right, right in that between gap. And, and, and I think, Quintara, you have a lot of insight into how to get from point A to point B when they haven't even started thinking of point A and point B. So, right. <laughs> so, so thank you for being here. And um, I already got the feedback from the event yesterday, and I can tell you that uh, it was moving for some people. It was right on point. And this is a conversation that families avoid. So having this kind of like moments when it triggers ideas and and I would say questioning what the hell are we gonna do at a certain point in time with myself, with my parents, with my grandparents, uh, it's important. So so I think, uh, so thank you for, for bringing those conversations to the forefront. So I'm gonna start with a very simple question like I tend to do in this, in this podcast, <laughs> which is, um, how did you get into this? Because this is not an easy feel to work on. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it happened naturally. So I was a director of planning for a lot of families in my uh, local area, which is in the Andovers in Massachusetts. And um, I myself at the time was going through a situation where I was um, having a parent go through the elder care process of trying to help them figure out where their best placement was to receive the care they needed at that point in time. But then obviously things for their health were changing. So it was always kind of like a fire to put out. <laughs> So what, you know, at the moment it was like, you know, he needs just more meals and and attendance. And then soon that turned and always wandering. So now I need to find a place that can accommodate that. And I was like, oh, now we can't really walk well. So now we need to accommodate that. Um, And at the same exact time, I'm hearing from clients I'm working with that their parents are going through that, or even the client themselves um, was going through that, or their spouse was, and how do we handle that? You know, one day they're fine, the next day they're noticing forgetfulness or an an inhibited mobility or something like that. And, you know, kind of coming to me saying, how do we get in front of it? Or how do we talk to them about it? Or what should we be thinking about? Um, And it was timely because I'm thinking about all these things too. Um, So, you know, but what I found was I was a bit limited in who I could help with this, um, given that given that the place I was working for at the time was set up with like a different kind of niche and specialty. Um, so I decided to break out on my own and offer these services more on a project or hourly basis so that yeah. I could better provide advocacy as needed. And yes, there's financial planning involved. Um, but you know, there's also just a lot of education to it as well so that people feel really prepared. 
Yeah, I think uh, I think you just touched on a point that we have definitely heard before when it comes to uh, dealing with just the whole topic of elder care, which is the emotions tend to overtake a little bit of the planning uh, because it's just hard to deal with. So having a third party that it's a little unbiased, uh, that is not just on the financial side, but like what it's step one, step two, step three, step four, uh, it, it helps uh, everybody not to get overwhelmed by this. So, so, so that's exactly right what you just said, like having an advocate uh, in this part is important. Um, my, I was gonna ask you something that I have asked before on this topic, uh, which is how do you start this conversation and what's the right time? But, uh, but I realized that you share a document during our presentation that that kind of like addresses that. And I loved mm-hmm. it. You called it like the triggers and the transition triggers, the, the transition triggers. And, and I want to start talking about that because some of them are as simple as like, when should I stop driving? Mm-hmm. Some of them are more complicated when I should not live on my own. And, and I would say, this is something that every family has to kind of like think about because mm-hmm. it's different per family, depending on your living situation, but we all have triggers. So do you mind explaining a little bit of why you put this together and how it helps uh, your clients get through it? Yeah, absolutely. So I noticed a big gap in in documentation when it came to estate and financial planning. And it was Hmm. those questions like, when do I stop driving? When do I need help with food? When do I need help with hygiene? And, you know, estate planning documents are wonderful and we should all have them, but they kind of address more of when we pass away or who's going to take agency on me, like if I can't make decisions for myself. Very important, um, but doesn't address driving and feeding and things like that. Um, There's great things like the conversation project, which take it even a step further in terms of someone being able to really list out their final moments or their treatment and their preferences. So getting really nitty gritty on if I'm in hospice, I want the scent of lavender and I want this kind of music playing and I want these people around me, which is also wonderful. But again, it doesn't it doesn't answer, you know, when do I stop driving? And the question I was getting the most from, you know, who I call my tribe. (laughs) So the sandwich generation was mom and dad are terrifying me right now. They keep driving, they keep hitting parked cars. You know, they're, they're a terrorist in the parking lot. Like I I don't know how do we stop the madness? Um, And, you know, they're like, where, you know, what do we say? What do we do? And I, you know, I would give them these tips, but I'm like, I should just write this down because enough people are asking me the same question. And I went through this myself with my own family. Um, So I just thought through, you know, what, what are issues of daily living that aren't necessarily, you know, toileting, things like that, but the driving, the cooking, the laundry, the home maintenance and write them out, like literally, what would make you trigger the idea to do something different related to driving? And it's a workbook that I made. So it's not meant to just read, it's meant to with a pen fill out. And I I pose some questions in there as ideas, but you could certainly make your own, you know, where it's literally, I was thinking of my own grandmother, to be honest, how many, how, you know, how many parked cars do you side swipe in what period of time that makes you realize it's time to transition? transition trigger to something else. Um, and I, and I take it even one step further because that can be scary. Cause, um, if there's no other solution offered, it's kind of like, wow, I just stopped driving and now I'm home forever. Or I go to the home. Um, 
So the idea of saying, you know, here are some options. There's Uber, there's public transportation, which you've probably never looked into because you just haven't. Um, Starts, you know, moving to an assisted living where the shuttles are provided and just part of your rent. Um, You know, tapping into family and friends and, you know, figuring out their schedule. And I tell people to answer your question, like, when do you do this? The book right on the cover says as early as 50 which clearly at 50, you're, you're very likely capable of driving and doing all these things. But I think filling out the book when you're in a very reasonable space where this isn't a threat to you to actually be happening, you're going to answer more honestly. Like you're going to think of your own parents or someone, you know, and you're like, well, if they, (laughs) if you know, they put a pot on the stove and it burned through and that was happening like a couple times a week, I think it's time to stop cooking when it's not all about you and you're not defensive, you're going to put something that seems pretty obvious. Whereas if you're approaching this, in a moment of crisis, in the moment of like, it's being threatened on you, you're going to kind of come up, you're going to come up with justifications for why that happened. Like, well, that car was parked way out into the street that, you know, that, that could have happened to anybody. So I say, do it as early as you can when you're, you know, feeling reasonable about it. And it's not actually about you and you're not defensive and revisit it time to time so that it's a comfortable idea that yes, at some point it is going to be a transition trigger for me. And I've considered the solutions. I've influenced them into my plans financially and otherwise I've, you know, let my attorney know even what my preferences are and my family know. Um, And that way at the point of like these things happening and coming to fruition, your expectation is set. It's there. It's your words. And it's in a way just you're, you're keeping yourself accountable and you're giving your family some guidance that, you know, you're saying I am independent. These are my choices. You're not making this choice for me. I made it myself. Um, and that is very empowering. Yeah. And and I think, well, something to highlight here, uh, and, and to spend maybe some time is that, the way you're describing how to approach this process is with a conscious decision of mm-hmm. I want to assess myself and what would trigger me to need extra care or and let's just and instead of saying extra care let's just say change the way I do the current things right now um, but but again we start with a point of consciousness of like I know this will happen and this is this is what I can do right now. This is what I cannot do right now. This is what I should not be doing right now. What happens when it's too late? Like when you are in the denial part of this, right? Where right. And, and I'm not coming to you as a, as a health expert, but it's more about you, have, you for sure have seen this happen in families you help, where the person that needs to actually be more realistic with this assessment, it's just not probably... Uh, conscious about this anymore so so it becomes part now of a family conversation uh, and this i see a lot the driving happens everywhere it's like grandma yeah. shouldn't be driving but how do you tell grandma that right yeah i mean so i have done the transition trigger workbook with some of my elder or clients. grandpa let me just clarify that <laughs> oh sure yeah <laughs> yeah have to be grandma. <laughs> and in this situation it was a grandpa actually <laughs> and, oh, there you go. and and the family at large including the spouse was concerned about grandpa driving and what do we do um and it's actually happened to a handful of my clients um 
it's not too late to use the transition trigger book. I say do it as early as possible, but I think having it as like the medium. So again, it's not actually a direct front from whoever's being the host of the discussion, whether it's me or a child or a spouse, the book is kind of like asking these questions, right? Like it's not them, it's just the book. So, you know, if you kind of approach it, even if it's somebody that is kind of already having questionable issues with some of these transition triggers, um, I think sitting down and just saying, hey, you know, like we need to supplement our estate plan. The kids are asking about, you know, these questions. So let's just give them an answer. It's not something I'm saying we have to do tomorrow, but let's fill this out together. And you go through. I've had seniors read the the things I'm suggesting, like, and they're realizing that's what's happening. Like, it, it's kind of like a a moment, it, like where you know, it's like, oh, how many park cars have I hit this month? Oh, it has been three, hasn't it? Like, ooh, you know, like, yeah. do I really say five? Like, I don't, you know. So, <laughs> but let them say five because you know that's what ultimately what's going to happen. And some of the things I say in there also are, have you had a diagnosis of dementia or Parkinson's, or are you on a medication with a side effect that, you know, warns about driving while on the medication? Because that's a little bit of a release of, you know, that it's something personal to them. You know, this is maybe something happening to them, but it's not them. It's not, it's a diagnosis. It's a medication. It's not your fault. It doesn't mean anything about you, you know? So, and I think having the section right below it with how are we going to address it? Like, this isn't the end of the world. Like there are solutions. Let's just pick them, like choose it right now. What would you, what's your preference? Um, I think it's a very non-confrontational way to go about it because again, it, the workbook really helps to put things in your own words, which is really what independence is all about. Yeah. Um, and so I think when people think about independence, it's about holding on to what your already norm is, yeah. but really nothing makes you younger and more independent than being uh, accepting and adaptable to change. And I remind people all the time that everybody is going through this. <laughs> like, you know, 20 year olds are having to change and adapt. So an 80 year old, of course, is also, and that's what keeps you young. Um, yeah. No, yeah. I, I would just add the, the, the part that, that you mentioned on independence, because that tends to be where, where folks get emotional is like, mm-hmm. I don't want to lose my independence. And mm-hmm. And I think what, like you said, having some plan or at least some collaboration with uh, the loved ones about step one, step two, and why I need to keep doing this certain way helps because it allows the, the person that needs to go through the change to maintain independence, which is and not just independence of mobility, but independence of decision-making, which is mm-hmm. what, what most people are looking for when it comes to elder care. Um, I want to transition a little bit to the money conversation about this because yeah. this is something that we definitely see often in our industry. And, and it's when planning retirement, and, and you, you mentioned the sandwich generation earlier. And, and I would say part of the meat in that sandwich or whatever content you want to put in that sandwich as well is that most people didn't plan to help uh, sustain your parents' care at the level of cost that it's in today's world. Uh, a lot of people plan for their own retirements. A lot of people plan for their kids. And the parents' help and, and taking care of your parents is a cost that most families, one, didn't expect it to be as high as it is in these days, mm-hmm. but also 
they just didn't plan for it. Right. And they, they usually face it at the wrong moment, which is right. <laughs> when it's needed. So do you, wanna, do you wanna talk a little bit about how you approach this and, and how do you talk to your, to your clients about it? Yeah, so anyone I'm working with that's part of the sandwich generation, it's it's like the first question I ask, like who else <laughs> might be who we be planning for directly or indirectly? Um, and it just really depends on the, on the parent's financial situation. If it seems like, here's what I come up with a lot, is the parents really can afford care, it's just not how they want to spend their money. <laughs> and that's with any of us, right? Like, I get it. It's yeah. like, just not how you want to prioritize your money. Like you had different thoughts for how it would be spent. Um, so I think kind of getting in it ahead of that to kind of reframe that discussion to say how much it helps the sandwich generation out in terms of allowing them to keep their job full time, excel within mm-hmm. their career, keep well connected with their family if they're stay at home or you know doing doing more of a homemaker role, um, the you know stress it you know takes off a marriage and relationships and just mental health. If the parents were to dedicate some of their assets to getting elder care support, you know, in whatever shape that might be, home care or assisted living care. Um, I think sometimes the parents get in this idea of I have to preserve everything for inheritance or for the grandkids, or again, they just have a different idea of how they were going to prioritize that money, but they're, they're really doing themselves a disservice in terms of then either a putting themselves in harm's way by not Mm -hmm. utilizing some of that money for their care, or they don't realize how much they're leaning on direct hands-on support and emotional support from their kids, which in a way is inhibiting their own financial growth. Um, So, so we talk about that to the extent that the parent really doesn't have much financial means. You know, sometimes the child is actually pretty good, um, but the the parent isn't. You know, they have maybe yeah. a modest home, a modest IRA, you know, a modest um, social security, but that doesn't, you know, it might come together to to grant a couple years of care or three years of care. But if, you know, they're thinking, well, my parent's only 75 and already kind of needing it. What if they live till 85? What do we do? That's where, you know, I'll look at the child's plan and say, okay, you know, if you wanted to, you know, if you want to supplement this kind of care for a parent, let's see how much is that affordable for you for how long, you know, where would we take it from? You know, what does that look like for you? Maybe it's just bridging a smaller piece and then, you know, understanding that there are benefit options for the senior. So a child isn't obligated to chip in. Right. Um, So if a parent is more low income, more low asset, there are options like the PACE program, veterans aid in attendance, certain town um, programs, through senior centers and council on aging, that should be really the first stop, then making the child just potentially, if they can, bridge a smaller gap. Yeah. And I, there's so much to comment on this. Like I was biting in my mouth as, as you were talking. So, and I'll share this uh, from a personal side here. So today, actually, my dad is retiring. So today, oh, wow. <laughs> like he actually, we chose as a family to retire. And and obviously I've been working in this industry now for 10 years or so, and I have seen enough examples gone wrong of, of just, like you said, the, 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 the old generation or the older generation keeping their wealth until death and then not realizing how much they affected the planning of their kids and their grandkids. So, right. so 
I can tell you something that we did as a family and uh, this is my sibling, my sister and I and my parents. Uh, this is maybe six years ago or seven years ago was to sit down and have a really tough conversation of retirement for my parents. This was not necessarily about elder care, but was to consider elder care as a cause of my parents' retirement. Mm-hmm. And and we all decided, no, you cannot retire yet. Yeah, right. <laughs> because, <laughs> because that would imply like you're you're kind of like taking uh, income or, or p- possible future income or, or growth of something that me and my sister at the time were like, we are not ready to help you if something happens. Right. So, so that helped us a lot. And I can tell you that today, it's so funny, I'm just looking at the data and I just like, oh yeah, today he's retiring. Uh, <laughs> we are all kind of celebrating this. It's like, yeah. I think we're comfortable if like things go wrong, we can all chip in, but, but we needed to wait those extra three to four years to accomplish that goal. At having that conversation as a family help and, and I would say seeing the examples uh, of, of other families not doing it also helped. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about this is what happens when the older generation is just not necessarily willing to change their ways? And, and, and the reason why I'm saying this is because a lot of the time, the clients that come to, to you or to us at Lexington is that sandwich generation, right? Like the mm-hmm. one that is trying to be more uh, proactive about their planning. Uh, they are a little more in tune with their, with their savings and financial planning, et cetera. And they don't really know the this, this story of their parents. They usually find out when there is <laughs> something happening or something going wrong. So, right. so how do you approach that conversation? Yeah, so I think part of it is a set your expectations to the extent that it's going to be a terrible conversation. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That helps. (laughs) Honestly, I think a lot. A lot of what my job is in in any no matter what the situation is is setting expectations. I learned that really early on, Mm -hmm. and you know, if you set the expectation that, you know, you're going to have this conversation with a family member and you know, you're pretty positive. It's going to be resistant. Nothing I do is necessarily going to be like magic that it's going to make it go right. That, you know, next conversation, but I can say from personal experience and also through clients where we've kind of worked through the parent situation together, you just have to keep at it. Like it just expect sand in the eye. That first one, it's going to be bad. They might, they might not call you a couple of days. It's okay. Like just know that's how it's going to be. And that's normal. It's totally normal. It is something that it's very scary for a senior. And I've done, um, round tables at, uh, assisted livings with, you know, a, a group of people. I'll just go visit and I'll go, you know, can I grab your ear for a minute over your lunch? Like, do you mind me asking some questions? And I'll say like, you know, you know, what brought you here? And they'll say, oh, my daughter dropped me off and rah, 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 rah. you know, like, I mean, they start going right into it and I'm like, okay, but like, how long have you been here for? Oh, six months. And you know, well, it seems like you got a lot of friends here and you're enjoying your meal and they're, they're like, oh yeah, I like it now. Like it was great. Like it needed to happen, you know? And I'm like, oh, but you were really angry at your daughter about it. They're like, oh yeah, but we're fine now. <laughs> you know, like I can tell you really with certainty, I've had enough clients and that moved to the assisted living that never wanted to go like, you know, pry me out of my house. My toes will be blue. Like the the worst things you can (laughs) say, like they said, and 
I'm telling you, once they're in an environment that really suits them so yeah. much better than whatever the situation is, which is probably why you're coming to me saying like, I'm, I'm worried about mom and dad at home and this is mm-hmm. happening and that's happening. Again, their, their ability to retain independence, which is really what they're looking for. It's not about the house. It's about independence and about feeling to your best version. Right. Mm-hmm. So once you're in a, a situation where that that's just naturally happening because the way the room set up, the way the meals are brought to you, the way that interactions happen with people that are in their similar situation, it's just natural. And I know that can be a tough sell and it's very confrontational when you bring it up. And I hate to say this, but sometimes you just have to pull rank because if they've given you authority to act on their behalf and work on their best interest, um, what they really were saying is when I'm unreasonable, I need you to be reasonable for me. And, and that's tough. You you know, I'm not going to say that's easy to do as a child. And I've done it myself multiple times now. (laughs) I'm like the, I'm in, I'm like the only one within my generation and there's many above me. So I'm kind of responsible for a lot of people (laughs) up above me. Um, And, you know, they all have their own ideas and preferences. And it definitely took a lot of time on my part to pull that out of them, to get past the, I'm just not changing. I'm not moving. You know, everything's fine. La, 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 la. Yeah. It it was like, well, we're going to have another conversation. Like it, you know, again, it doesn't happen, happen a day, but if you were to move, like, what does that look like for you? Like, what kind of community would you want to be in? Who are the people that interest you? What kind of food do you want? Like, what would your space look like? What don't you like about your space now that you wish were different? And it really helps you as the kid to do some due diligence on their part, since clearly they're not going to do it for you, Mm -hmm. um, to figure out, you know, the best kind of community for their needs, their preferences, their taste, their location, um, the affordability of that community. There are so many flavors of things out there in terms of big buy-ins, no buy-in, you know, rent levels, aesthetics, settings, you know, amenities. It's, there's no shortage. Like it's really hard for, you know, even just benefits and do they take low income or not? Or like, I mean, it's everything. So, you know, you as the sandwich generation might need to do a lot of that homework, unfortunately, and present the options and then kind of loop them in on the back end when you've narrowed the scope a little bit and you really feel like you've found some really good candidates so that when they go look at these places with you, very likely reluctantly, but when you mm-hmm. dra- you take them out for lunch, I've done this. Get in the car, we're going for lunch and we do get lunch. And like, let me just show you something on the way back. It's like right over on the way. <laughs> you know, like, and, and you stop it. I, you know what? I need to use the bathroom. Can we just go in here to use the bathroom? Is that okay? I mean, I've, I've done this. Um, Oh, look at that. There's a pool. That's lovely. Isn't it? Look at this view. Like yeah. this is nice. You know, um, the other thing is, is if, if it is a little bit more of an urgent need, you know, a lot of these communities do um, respite stays is what they call them. You have to kind of know the terminology. Yeah. So there's, you know, the tactic of I'm going on vacation. I'm visiting you a lot. I'm, you know, doing your med minders. I'm not going to be able to have a good time with my family knowing that I'm not around and I don't really, you're not going to let anybody in the house or I don't even know who to call. Could you please stay at this community just while I'm gone? I'll pay the rent. Don't worry about it. I'm not selling the house out from under you just going to Disney. Like I'll be back. Um, the, the change of bias and perception against these other options, especially when you're there and they're making a fuss over you and like your meals are done. The comment I keep hearing from the seniors themselves is this is easy living. 
This was, this was easy living. Like I am going up and down the stairs doing laundry and I'm eating like, you know, the same food every night. And this was easy living. Like, and I think a lot of the resistance you're hearing is fear of the unknown, you know, and they, they likely know that their situation isn't a good one, but it's the devil they know. And, you know, they, they'll kind of bandaid and Frankenstein the situation to, to just get through that next step. But once they're in the place that, you know, they're so afraid of and they see it firsthand and they're not threatened by it because they know it's temporary, you'd be amazed, you know, the, the turn of attitude. Yeah, the reluctance kind of like goes away. And, mm-hmm. and especially that they know it's temporary at the beginning. And then yeah. they, they, then, they, then probably they see it as an option instead of a, a never do kind of thing. Um, I got this topic. We could go forever. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Well, and one thing I was going to say that came up, we had a we had an event around a month ago uh, from another initiative we have, which is called What Keeps You Up at Night. And mm-hmm. and this is specifically to touch these topics in a more casual way. But anyway, besides, besides doing the plug for that initiative, uh, we were talking about elder care. And one of the things that, that keep coming up is that culturally – many families deal with it differently and, mm-hmm. and depending on the background and where you're from, like you might have multi-generations living in the same household mm-hmm. or you might have generations living literally countries apart. Mm-hmm. So it all changes drastically when somebody really needs help. And then if it's not planned, uh, it can really um, disrupt people's lives. Um, and and, and the, perfect, the example came of the book from Atul Gawande, Being Mortal, mm-hmm. where, like, which I, I, I know if compliance will not like this, but I highly recommend uh, reading the book, especially if you're going through this. I think it, it sets you, it level sets you. Abs- to, I love that book. To, to kind of like where you are as a family with this particular topic and the expectations and why so many older generations react certain way to, to certain conversations. So, so besides that, um, I think it's important to know where you fall and where you are as a family uh, in this conversation, because you might find yourself as a sandwich generation also being reluctant to put your parents in a, in an assisted living. Oh, sure. So, so it's not also about just the, the people actually being affected is sometimes like you just don't want to see them there. It's emotional to you as well. And you want to keep the care as long as possible in your house, which by the way, the high percentage of people in this country uh, where they take elder care uh, needs are in their homes. Mm-hmm. So, and people forget that. So accommodating your home, it's an important thing. Um, I have one last question. Yeah. And, and this is like, and, and I close every podcast with this one. Uh, if, if we could do one thing tomorrow to get us ahead when it comes to preparing for elder care, uh, what would that one thing be? I, I find it's just to educate yourself on your options and just get comfortable with what they may be. It, again, this isn't something anybody, unless you're in rehab with a discharge meeting coming up, but it's not something you have to decide on tomorrow, but the next step should be what's available to me. What are my resources? What are my honest preferences? Because the biggest hang up I see for anybody is that because they're just unaware of options, and this is for anything, not just elder care, but when you don't know your options and you're only maybe attuned to the, the biggest one you hear about, 
again, this could be with anything, you know, you have a bias against then whatever it is, because either you like that option or you don't. So now like your bias is set. Um, But if you realize that there's a lot of flavors of things out there and a lot of options that could fit your needs and you just have to kind of be aware of them so that you can plan for them because maybe your preference might be something a little bit unaffordable as you were talking about with your own family, you know, but you, there's just a couple things. It's working a couple extra years or spending a little bit less or yeah. getting an insurance policy or whatever it might be affords you that then wouldn't you want to know. And now, you know, you can do exactly what you wanted to do. Um, so I'd say, you know, just having the education on your options, whether it's elder care or anything financial related would be the next best thing. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time today. And during the event, uh, we really appreciate it here at Lexington. Uh, I will share your information, your contact information, uh, for those who want it, uh, it will be on the show notes from this podcast. Uh, so, so thank you. Thank you so much, Quintara. Of course. Thanks for having me on. And uh, until next time, my name is Jordi Miller, and this was the Empower Women series of the month of April. Uh, We hope you have a good day. Ciao. Lexington Wealth Management is a group of investment professionals registered by Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered independent investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or or the investment opportunities referred herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and it's not guaranteed. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information containing this research is provided as a general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Lexington Wealth Management and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no express or implied representation or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data on other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced here. The data and information are provided as a date of reference. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of Lexington Well Management and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Thank you.